as, as you come to the scriptures, there's certain books, there's certain studies that just get you excited. And, and Joshua is, is one of those books. This book, Joshua, derives its title from the man who is now going to lead Israel into the promised land. In fact, his name, Joshua, means Yahweh is salvation. What an amazing name to have, to go through every day of your life being reminded that Yahweh is salvation. That is where we find our hope, our salvation. Isn't that amazing? And this is the man that God has chosen to lead Israel into the land that he promised them. As we engage in this book this morning, we are going to see the way that God provides salvation for these people as they take the land that God has given them. It's a wonderful example of victorious living displayed through this nation, Israel. And I know as you go through the Old Testament, so many times we look at Israel and we just shake our head and go, but not in Joshua. Joshua, we get to look at Israel and go, wow, what an example. And I'm not saying that we see a nation perfect. There's still mistakes they make and, and, and failures, but my goodness, this nation is following God as they take a journey into the, the promised land. This book is a wonderful segue as we depart from the Pentateuch into the rest of the books of history. And as we engage in the books of history, it's, it's spanning the time of, of the Old Testament. And there's nine books of history, and sometimes the, the Pentateuch is lumped in with those books as well. But these nine books of history span the, the time of the Old Testament for the most part. In the first three, we see the, the thea, uh, theocratic, hmm, I got to say that word correctly, theocratic aspect of this nation. God is their king in those first three books. Doesn't mean that they follow their king perfectly, but God is their king and ruler, and these people follow after him. In, in the, the, the next three, we see more of a, a monocle where they have a, a human, a man who is their king, and they follow. And it's such a sad picture in, in those segments of history as goes the leader, so goes the people. And we'll see that displayed and, and the, the consequences that come after that. And then the last three are, are restorative, which is such a beautiful hope. And, and we see in those books, God still is just. God is still righteous, but he's faithful and forgiving. 
What a beautiful thing we see. And then as you, you span the rest of, of the Old Testament, and I love the way that, that God chose to just structure the Old Testament books because we have the, the Pentateuch, the law, which shows what God demands and requires. Then we have the history that shows how God in dealing with man throughout that. But then after that comes wisdom and poetry where we really get to see God's heart and the way that we implement the wisdom of who he is and what he said into our lives. And then you have the prophetic books. And they're major and minor. They're all important. It's, and, and we see the way that God cares enough to warn you and I. But this book, Joshua, is, is our segue, and as we look at the Old Testament, we are going to see that God cares not only for these people, Israel. It's easy to get the mindset that when we come to the Old Testament, God loves Israel and nobody else. That could be, there's nothing further from the truth. As we go through the Old Testament, we see that God has a heart for all mankind a heart for the world. It's not in John 3.16 that we discover God so loved the world. It's in the Old Testament that we see this true time and time again. But we come to Joshua, jumping into these historical books, the history of Israel. They're now taking the land. And as they do, we've been, we've been watching them wander for book after book after book, verse after verse, and really we've defined them as a wandering people, haven't we? But now as we enter into Joshua, we're going to see a journey. They are following God on a specific path, and we are watching a people who are redeemed. God has brought them out of Egypt... And as we watch these redeemed people, we, we see in the last book, Deuteronomy, that they've been reminded. They've been reminded of God's law, his commands, and examples of the past. Some of us here today are examples to the generation coming up, are we not? The difference is we can choose to be a good example or a bad example. But regardless, we're examples to the generation that is coming up behind us. And we saw that in Deuteronomy, but now they are ready. They're ready to follow a new leader. And as we, as we go through this journey in Joshua, we're going to see five different segments. That's right, we have a five-point sermon this morning. All right? So we're going to watch and see this new leader, these, these things that are beginning to happen, these new steps that they're about to take. And then we will segue into that and we'll look specifically at two key battles. There's many battles that are fought in, in the book of Joshua, but we're going to look at two key battles in, in greater detail. And then we'll look at the military conquest of the land. This is an exciting time where they are taking hold of the promises that God has given them. 
From there, we, we look briefly at, even though it's a larger chunk of the book, at the 12 tribes and the borders that are, are given to the different ones and the rest that God brings to Israel and the land. We'll finish off this morning with, with Joshua's final message to the people. A powerful message, and no doubt some of you probably even have a part of that message singing somewhere in your home. But we'll close with that and consider choices that this generation will have to make and generations to follow, including the generation that's here this morning. But they begin this journey with a new leader, chapters 1 through 5. This is a time of, of transition. The opening nine verses of this book capture beautifully, powerfully, victorious living. The prescription for it, so to speak. I'm not into prescriptions, but if you want one, the first nine verses of Joshua is a great start. Joshua Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me if you would. Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. How's that for a way to start out a conversation? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great, great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give these people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Do you think Joshua at this point, following the footsteps of Moses, might have been feeling a little weak or a little scared, nervous? Twice now, be strong and courageous and he goes on be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go this book of the laws shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How's that for an introduction speech to your new leader? As God is preparing this man, Joshua, he gives him this message. And he begins with, Moses is dead. But God is living and active. Leaders will come and go, but God remains. Church, we need to remember that. All too often, we find ourselves putting our hope, our trust, our, I don't know, into a, a man. God says, he's dead now. All of us will die. All of us will come to an end. But God remains. Generation to generation. That right there is something, if you get nothing else today, know that. God is alive and active, and He is working. Three times He says, be strong and courageous, not in yourself, not in your skills, not your abilities, but be strong in the Lord. Why? Because He's not going to die. He's not going to come to an end. Church, that's exciting for me. That allows me to live victorious. Because I am not putting my hope, I am not putting my strength, my courage in something that's passing away. It's constant. So Joshua, in these, these first five chapters, does a lot of things. He gathers the people. He shares with them what they're going to do. He rallies them up. He gets them excited, as a good leader should, right? And then he sends out spies. That kind of got him in trouble last time, but I think there was a little message Joshua gave before. He's like, just, just go and tell me what you see. Don't tell me whether or not you think we should go. I don't know. That's a jetism, but I'm sure Joshua had a long talk with them. And he delivered to them this message from God. But he sends the spies and they get ready. They're going to cross the Jordan River. I want you to imagine a river at flood stage. We might actually get to see some rivers at flood stage this year. Okay? So if you want a vivid picture, just watch the next few weeks here. Okay? As it warms up. And they come up to this river at flood stage, and God's saying, you're going to cross that river. It's not a river that's just up to your knees here. This is a river that will take out a house. You know what I appreciate? God doesn't tell Joshua to go, take your staff, hold it out over the river, and it'll part. I mean, that's what you expect, right? That's what God did with the Red Sea. No, not this time. He says, this time I want the priest with the ark to go in front. And they're going to carry the ark, and as soon as their foot touches the water, whew, the waters part. And we're not talking about a parting like the size of this, this room here. We are talking a massive parting of the waters. And the people walk 
on dry land across. It says that the waters stood like a wall. I've watched so many documentaries that try to explain this. Oh, well, it just wasn't that much water, and it kind of just faded off, and the wind blew it, and it was dry. No, there it says there was walls of water with the river, and they walked through. Imagine being the cities around there watching this, seeing this occur. It should strike terror in their hearts. I love that God does not work the same way every time that he works. Because I'd be looking at how God worked in your life and be going, God, are you going to do the same for me? God doesn't work according to our expectations, our comfort. In fact, when he works, he often allows us to be very uncomfortable and expects obedience and faith. Joshua has a key conversation that occurs in chapter 5. It's one of my favorite conversations in, in this book. They're about to go and attack Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, we see an amazing conversation. He's out there. He sees a man with his, his sword drawn. That means you're ready for battle if you have your sword drawn, okay? And Joshua approaches this man and says, Are you, um, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the reply back is, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. If that doesn't make you swallow hard, I don't know what will. Imagine, and at that point Joshua realizes that he is in the presence of God. He falls, he worships. The commander of the Lord's army, a, a pre-incarnate Christ, God is before him and he says, take your sandals off, Joshua. You are on holy ground. But imagine they're going and asking what you now realize is God, whose side are you on, our side or their side? And God says, neither. I'm on neither side, Joshua. God does not take sides. I can't tell you how many times in, the, in my life I've heard people say, I'm so glad God's on my side. I'm like, really? That's kind of arrogant, don't you think? God's not one that takes sides. We either join God or we oppose God. Those are our two options. We don't say, hey God, join me. It's like, that's not how it works. What a powerful thing for Joshua to realize. Joshua, I'm not going to take your side. You need to make sure you're on my side. You need to make sure you are following me. What a message for him to hear. What a message for us to hear. 
God saying, Joshua, you're going to have victory, but it's not going to be because of your tactics. You're going to have victory, but it's not going to be your skill, your power, your army. It's going to be because you are following me. You align yourself with me. I think some of us need to hear that. I think some of us need to reevaluate if we are aligning ourselves with God or if we're thinking he should align with us. God, here's my plans. Here's what I'm going to do, and I want you to bless it. God's like, that's not how it works. God goes on to give him an amazing strategy as, as he tells Joshua to take on Jericho. This is brilliant military tactic. I want you for the next six days to walk around in a circle around Jericho. Quietly. One time, go back to camp. They do it day one. Day two. Day three. So on. Oh, by the way, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And then at the end, I want the, the priest to blow the horns and everybody to yell. And I will give you victory. I have a video clip that expresses well this strategy. What are you doing? We're going to knock your wall down. By walking around in circles? Yes. It's not because we're crazy or anything. Our God told us to do it this way. Oh, that's a great idea. You go ahead and keep walking. <laughs> I, I gotta wonder if, if they felt that way. They're like, we're not crazy here. We're just doing what God said, okay? Because when all things considered, this is probably the worst military tactic you could think of. Not a sword is drawn. Not a catapult is devised. No ladders are given. Yet, when we look at, at the first battle, the battle of Jericho, it is amazing. God tells them, first of all, you are going to go in, you are going to fully destroy Jericho. Leave nothing behind. Take nothing from it. But God extends grace. Rahab and her family are spared in a beautiful way. The scarlet cord that is out of the window is a beautiful picture that we we use in the Old Testament just to track the, the Christ, the prediction of Christ coming in the Old Testament. But God extends grace to Rahab and her family. They're spared. Because God is concerned about the heart. Even in a pagan city like Jericho, God works.
He commands utter destruction. They follow God's plan, as crazy as it seems, but they obey. Do you know what happens when we obey God? God does some amazing things in our life. God gets victory, and God wins the battle. You talk about victorious living, obey him, and you will see him do some amazing things. Next city on the map would be Ai. And the armies come up, the spies go out, they look at it and they go, oh man, this city is nothing like Jericho. We got this. In fact, Joshua, you know, the men are tired and all that. Let's, let's just let some of them stay back. We got a plan. We got this. We'll only send 3,000 men. That is plenty to take Ai. And they get their butts whooped. Over 30 men lose their lives as they flee for their lives. And they come back and they discover that there is sin in the camp. You see, there's a family, there's a man who decided, ooh, there's some gold. Ooh, there's this. And he took it from Jericho. God said, take nothing. God said, destroy fully. This is a beautiful picture of how sin impacts those around you. Never think that your sin is just your sin. It impacts the whole. And sin is dealt with in a powerful way here. Then they are like, you know, maybe we should go to God. Good idea. They learned a valuable lesson. They go to God and God says, here's how you're going to do this. You're going to divide up. I want here and here. And he gives them the plan for victory. And God gives them an amazing victory at Ai. And very quickly, the nation of Israel realizes, you know what? It's not about us. It's about him. I love it when God shows himself that way. The lesson of obedience that they learned would take them throughout the rest of the conquest. And there's a great military conquest that occurs in chapters 9 through 12. It's fun to read victory after victory after victory after victory. And God leading them all the way. And we see time and time again, not every city... There would be other places that they could take the loot, that they could, they could gain from the spoils. There would be certain places that not everything, not everyone would have to be destroyed. But God determined that. And it's fascinating when you come to the cities that God says annihilate, wipe them out. You see the gods that they worship centered around sexual perversion where they had taken the very thing that God created and perverted it, even into an act of worship to these pagan gods. They had taken their babies and for their own pleasures and worship would sacrifice babies to these gods. 
And as God looked at those cities, their hearts filled with evil and sin, He said, wipe them out. You know any countries today where we see sex and child sacrifice prevalent? As I looked at the pages of Joshua, I saw our own country. Sexual perversion wherever you turn. No value for human life, young or now even old. And God gives them victory. It's interesting, God, would, they would come against some of these cities that were fortified. They were powerful. In fact, they would even have, they would even have chariots and horses. And God told them, when you defeat them, destroy the chariots, cripple the horses. You're like, why on earth would you do that? God gives you victory, why not take the spoils? Well, the psalmist David, I think, describes why very well. In fact, I wonder if he was, was contemplating the scriptures of Joshua as he wrote Psalm 20. David writes this, Some, some boast in chariots, and some in horses. But we, we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. God's like, I don't want you to take the horses and chariots and go to the next battle and think you have victory because of them. You have victory because of me and me alone. What a, what a beautiful thing that our God does not want us to be crippled by what we have. And if we are, he will take it. He goes, I receive the glory. I receive the honor. And God gave victory throughout the land, the land that he promised, by the way, without horses, without chariots. Some battles they didn't even have to raise a sword. And God gave victory. In Genesis we read, in chapter 13, verse 14 or 15 God saying this to Abraham remember all the way back to Abraham it says for all the land which you see I will give it to you and to your descendants forever I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth then your descendants can also be numbered arise walk Walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. God made a promise. They entered into this land, and Joshua 11 says this. If I can find it here. Joshua 11 says this, as they come close to the end of that conquest. 11.23 So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses 
And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions, by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. Rest. When we enter into the promises of God, we seek rest. Some of you at the very back of your Bibles have maps. I love maps. They are fun to look at. But I want you to do this. Just flip to the back of your Bible real quick. I, I'm just curious. And how many of you have maps in the back? Some of you are like, it's on my phone. I don't, I don't, how do I do that? You are missing out. See, this is why paper copies are so cool. Okay? But you flip back. How many have maps? I'm just curious. Isn't that cool? Do you realize, and some of you even have color maps, you have God's promises in color. Because when you look at the map of Israel with the tribes laid out, you are looking at the very promises of God fulfilled. Isn't that cool? And we get it in color. At least crystal clear, black and white, right? And, and we see throughout chapters 13 through 21, God is working through Joshua as the land is divvied up, and it's in great detail. So generation after generation would know. I, I love how God provides for the Levite tribe. As you look at your map in detail, I'm not sure if you can even read all of that, but it, it's pretty cool. Do you realize there's no tribe of Levi? Yeah, Levi was one of the twelve. In fact, and there's no tribe of Joseph even, but there's Manasseh and, and uh, <laughs> Ephraim. Thank you. Okay, Ephraim and Manasseh, his son. And we see the twelve tribes there in God's promise. In these chapters, we're given the cities of refuge that God established for justice and grace. We see rest. At the end of these chapters, we see that there's still land to conquer. There's still work to be done, but there's rest for now. I appreciate chapter 21 as it closes. Verse 43 says this, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed it, and lived in it. Do you realize in the book of Joshua we see the transition from God providing manna to the land providing food for them? What rest? What provision? It goes on, and the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their fathers. And no, no one of all had, I'll find it here, no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Our God's faithful. 
My goodness, they're on this journey. They're following God. And, and God has kept His Word. If I'm going to live by His Word, it is encouraging to know He keeps His Word. And He gives victory when you and I do. Joshua knows there's still land to be conquered. There's still a conquest to, to occur. And generations following will do this. The generation there will engage in this. Let me just be real practical right now. We have some young people in here this morning. The older I get, the, the higher that number goes for young people, but, but we have young people in here. Do you realize that there is a conquest, there is a task that God has for them? Young people, God has a task for you. Joshua, understanding this generation is going to have that, he leaves them with some final words. Some exhortations, some challenges. And he begins that in chapter 23. Chapter 23, he says, Be very firm. Plant your feet. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. I am so excited about our time after the service here before we have lunch. Grace together. This is a beautiful picture of being able to encourage the generations that follow. The current generation we're in to hold tight. Joshua, knowing that this will come, challenges them to remember God's law. Remember what he has said. Because church, we are so forgetful. As we'll see next week, Israel's really forgetful. Unfortunately, we'll see next week a beautiful mirror image of our hearts too. Joshua in chapter 24, just turn the page. He begins this in a beautiful way. Grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, I want to encourage you. Don't fail to tell your grandkids, great-grandkids, your children, history. Your victories, your failures. Listen to what it says. Then Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. That's bleak family history right there. They didn't serve God. Then... I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac 
To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. He goes through the next verses and he begins to remind them of their past, their history, all the things that God brought them through. You're like, I'm not a fan of history. Well, you need to be. Because as they go through history, they remember. Because we forget. And Joshua comes to the final part of his message, and you're like, oh, pastor, I hope you're close to yours. I am. But listen to how Joshua closes. He says in verse 14, and you guys probably have this somewhere in your home. If not, you should. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. No amen? Ah, there we go. See? All right. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord if, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord. Fascinating he would say that. If it's disagreeable to you, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your forefathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. What a way to close up your final message to the people you love so dearly. The people you have wandered with now have taken a journey with into the promises of God. The ones that you have seen God allow to live victoriously. And he says, choose. Not if. If you're going to choose. He doesn't say that. He says, choose who. See, church, we are always serving something or someone. And believe it or not, if we forget who God is, if we forget what he has done, then very quickly we will find it very undesirable to serve the Almighty God. You're like, how? Well, yeah, when you're thinking about who he is and what he's done, it just seems mind-boggling, right? Right? But tomorrow's Monday, and you're going to forget. That's why Joshua says, choose this day. It is a daily thing. It is for this generation, the next generation, and generations to come. God, will you choose him? I wish I could answer that question for you. Honestly, if you come and read Joshua, you look at what God has done, what he is capable of, and you find it undesirable to serve him, I'm concerned for you. 
But God is so big that he gives us a choice. I love what we discover about our God in Joshua. God is neither. Neither for you, neither for your enemy. He is doing what God is going to do. He is sufficient in himself. And he calls you and I to follow him. The question is, will you side with him? God is calling you and I to obey. Obedience. To place our faith, our trust in Him and Him alone. Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. And it comes through no one else. And God sent His Son. You know, we can live this life all we want. Deploying tactics, strategies. Thinking our own selves strong enough, good enough. God says, no. I am. And we still live in a land filled with other gods. We still live each day needing to make the choice. Who are you going to serve? Who am I going to serve? I will answer today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, your people... Your children, we bow our heads before you right now because we, we realize that, God, you're not on our side, but we have a choice, an opportunity to follow you. So, God, as, as believers, we are praying right now if there is any who are not following you, God, today would be the day. Like Rahab, that they would make the choice to follow you. Lord, I pray for those of us who have made that decision to follow you in this journey of life. God, that we would choose to obey, that we would choose to follow you with everything, day in and day out. And God, may we not forget. God, we love you. And I pray that your church here, as they follow you, would be able to live in a victorious way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.